Thanks, Santa. Uh, if you do have a Bible, uh, please keep it open there at 2 Peter. Uh, you can look that up uh, on your phone now, I understand. Uh, you could do that as well. Um, when I was a kid, I've been telling you stories about my childhood and my family. Uh, when I was a kid, I was told of my older brother stealing from the local IGA, uh, or whatever it was called back then, uh, the, the convenience store. We called it McCormack's because it was owned by Mr McCormack. Uh, my brother was quite young at the time, I think maybe four, uh, and he smuggled a, a lollipop or something like it out of the shop and all the way home before mum caught him. Uh, when she realised what he had done, she put him back in the car, she drove him back to the shop, and she made him uh, front up to Mr McCormack uh, he, um, and forced him to confess and apologise. You picture the little four-year-old in front of Mr McCormack. And I think the story was then recounted to me, little John, uh, as a life lesson. Uh, you know, taking something that doesn't belong to you is stealing, don't do it. We've got this bloke in our family now, Fred. Uh, he's three, and he's a lot like my brother Andrew. A uh, little blondie, lots of energy, likes to smuggle things. Uh, usually he just takes his brother's possessions and puts them in his room. Uh, but a couple of times now we've caught him taking something from a shop uh, and seeking to leave the shop with it, uh, a torch uh, in BCF, under the shirt. Uh, and out the door, he knows what he's doing. Uh, a lolly from the, the local service station uh, just down here. Uh, we followed the same practice as mum did with my brother. Um, get him to confess, say sorry. It doesn't help much when the store manager knows him and says, oh, it's okay, we don't sell many of those anyway. Uh, hopefully Fred gets the point uh, if he hasn't already. Uh, this afternoon, as we open to Peter uh, again, the issue is not a kid smuggling a lolly out of a, a shop, uh, but it's, it's false teachers smuggling their heresies into the church. Uh, this must be one of the heavier topics uh, in the Bible. Uh, and as much as I love that we're very easygoing in Aussie culture, false teaching within the church is not something that we could possibly be relaxed about. Uh, it's not something where we can say, oh, it doesn't matter. Uh, so Peter, having just reminded his reader in that second half of chapter one of the, the great confidence that we can have in the apostles' eyewitness accounts, we didn't make it up, he, he said. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then reminding us, of the reliability of the prophetic message, that is the Old Testament, he now goes on to say in verse 1 of chapter 2, look, look there in your Bible, but, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. There was no shortage of false teachers in the Old Testament. As it was back then, so it will be today, says Peter. Beware of the danger within. And Peter's warning here, it's not unique to him. You know how sometimes there's someone who's just out to find what's wrong with everything? It's not like Peter's that person looking for a heretic 
wherever you can find one. But this is a, it's a common warning throughout the New Testament. In Matthew 24, verse 11, and speaking of the days between Jesus' ascension and Jesus' return, that the time period that we're still in today, Jesus said, many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Well, Peter picks up that teaching and he applies it to his reader. And notice that he shifts from false prophets to false teachers. And the change might just be as simple as the false teachers in this context. They're not prophet-like at all. It would seem they didn't believe in the supernatural. They certainly didn't believe in Jesus' return. So they're just dodgy teachers, not dodgy prophets. And what's particularly striking about these false teachers is that just as Paul warns the Ephesian elders in in Acts 20 that even among your own number men will arise and distort the truth, so here the problem is not a a prosperity gospel-preaching televangelist out there in the distance or a, a Rob Bell with his book Love Wins arguing for universalism and there's no judgment, someone distant and as disastrous as those false teachers can be, the problem on view is homegrown within the community. And it must make it so much harder to identify when we know them and when we love them. We're more likely to say, well, it doesn't matter. Or perhaps not even notice there's a problem at all. So what are these false teachers like? Uh, How are we to identify them and and make sure that we're not like them? Verses 1 to 3 gives us a summary. Their method. Look with me uh, uh, from halfway through verse 1. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them bringing swift destruction on themselves. False teaching usually uh, has some truth to it. That's the case with a lie, isn't it? The best lies are are the ones that incorporate so much truth. Uh, I think I've told some of you before, when we were living in Sydney, I went to a Benny Hinn uh, event. Benny Hinn's sort of a known prosperity gospel Uh, preacher, that idea that if you give to God financially, he'll give back to you as though we can sort of manipulate God into uh, blessing us. At that event, what he said sounded right at first. I mean, it was orthodox. It It was right. But as the night went on and on and on, the false teaching was slowly smuggled in. I remember someone saying, if you hear something that's new, something that may sound exciting, think, what aren't they saying? What are they leaving out? Uh, The the, um, third and fourth century heretic Arius, he majored on the humanity of Jesus to the detriment of the divinity of Jesus. What aren't they saying? Yes, we agree, Jesus is human, but he's also fully God. You, You cannot have one without the other. The false teacher's method secretly introducing destructive heresies. And if it's homegrown, it may not necessarily come from up the front of church, so to speak, though it could be. 
And that's one of the reasons why we have our Bibles open on a Sunday afternoon, uh, asking, what, what does the Bible say on this? It, it, does what is being said match up? It's in part why we preach through whole books of the Bible, so we don't just pick and choose what we like. I can tell you if I was just choosing topics I would like, I would not probably not talk about sin and judgment and all kinds of other things. Notice also in verse 3, we read in their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. So you add to their method exploitation and fabricated stories. What a contrast to Peter and the other apostles. We're just telling you what we saw and heard, not looking to get anything out of it for ourselves. In fact, they proclaimed the gospel, didn't they, at great personal cost. Most of them were killed for preaching Jesus. And no secrecy, no manipulation, not driven by greed, what can I get, just clear proclamation of the gospel and trusting God to do his work. But the false teacher's motive is greed, says Peter, driven by what they can get. Now, you and I may not be false teachers, I hope that we're not, uh, but that motive of greed can be one to work through, can't it? As we serve in, in Christian ministry in all kinds of different contexts, youth groups, Sunday kids, uh, the welcoming team, whatever it might be, we can be in danger of being greedy for what we can get. may not be money. Uh, we may be in danger of being greedy for the approval of others or, or greedy for power or, or position. If so, it's something to observe in our hearts, confess to God and say sorry and ask him for help. Their method, secrecy, exploitation, fabricated stories, their motive, greed. What's their message? Well, we've talked about uh, already, if you've been here over the last number of weeks, talked about that their denial of Jesus' return, which comes up in chapter 3. But just look at verse 1 with me again. Peter says that they're even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them. It's quite a broad statement, isn't it? Uh, if someone has been bought by God, the Apostle Paul says, uh, you are not your own, you were bought at a price. If someone has been bought by God, we know Jesus is our Lord. He's the big boss in life. And he's our saviour. And this leads to a changed life we looked at in chapter 1. An active growth in those Christian virtues. But the false teachers, they're nothing of the sort. You see verse 2, uh, we read many will follow their what? Their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Uh, later in verse 14, Peter says, with eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. That's a big thing to say, isn't it? In verse 10, he calls them bold and, and arrogant. These teachers are within the Christian community, but Jesus is not their Lord. And many will follow them, says Peter. 
So the name of Jesus gets dragged through the mud. I have at least a couple of friends who were previously interested in following Jesus but were turned off due to the lives of some so-called Christians. One was turned off by the minister of a church. It's not what was said but how they lived. Another was turned off by his girlfriend who was happy to sleep with him but a professing believer, she'd then rock up to church the next day and he just couldn't make any sense of it. Verse 2, many will follow the false teacher's depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. It's sad, isn't it? It's so devastating. We don't worry about that anymore, says someone. Just do what you want. God wants you to be happy. It can sound compelling, even good. Of course, God is love. Do whatever you like. But it leads to death, says Peter. And we think bigger picture, you step back and you just, you know, look around the world, the child sex scandals within the church. A millionaire mega pastor taking money from his poor congregation. Other misuse of power within the church and things that are much closer to home. In this passage here, Peter writes to forewarn us. It will be this way. Don't be surprised. As it was then, so it is today. And if your Bible's there, I want you to just notice that from verse 10 to 22, Peter really just fills out what he's already said in verses 1 to 3. He describes the false teacher's behaviour more fully in verse 10 to 16. Their traits which, notice, are the opposite of the Christian virtues back in chapter 1. And in verses 17 to 22, he describes the devastating result of their ministry. These people, these false teachers, had the privilege of being a part of the Christian community for a time. As Dave Burge puts it, they saw some light and even felt some warmth but before fully entering in, turned back into the familiar darkness. Peter describes it like a dog returning to its vomit. A sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. It's disgusting. And Peter writes to forewarn. As it was then, so it will be today. But the central message of, uh, of this passage, I reckon, sits in the centre of the chapter. It's verse 4 to 10. And while it might look like the false teachers are getting, getting away with it now, living it up, doing whatever they like, no accountability, making the name of Jesus look like absolute rubbish to the watching world, leading people away from Jesus instead of to him. While it may look like that for a time, Peter says destruction is awaiting them. And he argues his point by using those three examples from the past to show how God will act in the future. Look at verse 4. We read, For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness 
to be held for judgment. Peter's referring to that bit in Genesis chapter 6 where the angels were sleeping with human women. Like the false teachers, the angels had rejected God's authority and they're currently being held, like in remand, says Peter, for that future judgment day. In verse 5, he points to Noah, which begins, that story begins back in Genesis chapter 6 as well. We read verse 5, If he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, uh, Angus Maclay, he observes that Peter's three examples uh, seem to show sin getting worse and worse. Each example in the list deserving more blame than the last. The angels sinned, but the ancient world not only embraced ungodliness, they resisted Noah's faithful preaching of righteousness. And next, verse 6 and 7, we read, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless. You may know the city of Sodom and and Gomorrah in the Bible, it becomes synonymous with sin and, and depravity. They had the warning of the great flood, but still they were lawless. I think it was Billy Graham's wife said something like, if, if, um, if God doesn't judge America, he'll have to say sorry to Sodom and Gomorrah. It's a challenging line, isn't it? Each example, it's judgment for the ungodly. And notice protection for the righteous, Noah and Lot, who, by the way, were pretty rubbishy characters. Righteousness is found in Christ, isn't it? Faith in the God of the Bible. But it builds. that The examples build and build and build to verse 9, which I reckon is the key verse for us this afternoon. We read, If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. you get the impression that Peter's reader is under some pressure. Perhaps the false teachers are getting a big following, uh, uh, growing in influence. They say, live it up. Do do whatever you like. Choose your own adventure. And Peter reminds his reader, as it was then, so it will be. Their denial of Jesus as sovereign returning Lord does not make Jesus ineffective. He will return. He will judge. He will keep his people secure. I reckon that verse 9 is worth highlighting if you haven't already in your Bible. As it was then, so it is today. Watch out for the danger within. Now, how do we apply this, you know? Uh, I don't reckon it means that we're to have our heresy radar on big time uh, and be looking for what's wrong in absolutely every place. But we should be aware and unsurprised when it comes up 
but God is still in charge. And perhaps too finally, it's just worth saying, if you're someone who is feeling that the, the, the pull, you're feeling the pull of some kind of false teaching, and it can be so attractive, can't it? When you want to sin and someone comes alongside you and affirms it, go ahead. God doesn't care about that. If that's you at the moment, um, my mum's model with my brother is also a wonderful pattern for the Christian life, isn't it? Confess our sin, say sorry, and get on with living for him. Why don't we finish in prayer? Let's pray. Our loving Father, we, we thank you for, I guess, this, this stark warning that there will be false teachers, false prophets in these last days, this period between Jesus' ascension and his return. And, Lord, we see it. We see it all over the place uh, in that big picture, distant way with uh, famous dodgy preachers who have a great following. But, Lord, we see it closer to home as well uh, where Perhaps we might want to undermine the lordship of Jesus just to do what we want. And Lord, we pray that you would help us, guard us against this. Lord, we pray that as we preach the gospel, that we would do it not out of greed. And Lord, that we would not be manipulative but it would just be clear proclamation of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, that when there's an inkling of false teaching, you'd help us shut it down, help us say no when someone wants to affirm the sin that we're tempted to live in. But, Lord, even as we observe this mess, we thank you that you are still in charge and that you can keep your people godly through the saving work of Jesus, that you can keep us for salvation, and that you also can keep those, uh, those false teachers for judgment day too. Uh, Lord God, uh, we're sorry for the ways that we've failed to live your way, and we pray that it would be our great joy to get stuck into living for you. By your spirit, Lord, enable us, we pray, and help us to have fun as we look to you, the mighty King of kings. And we pray in, his na in Jesus' name. Amen.